0: I'm Ben Hong, and today on our panel we have Chris Fritz. Oh, hi! And Tessa. Hello. And our special guest for today's episode is the awesome Jack Coppa.
1: Jack, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, Ben. Hey, Tessa. Hey, Chris. My name is Jack Coppa. I'm a lead front-end developer at Politico. I really like Vue. I really like TypeScript. I've been doing web development for, for web and software development for about six years now.
0: Awesome. So a question we like to ask a lot of our guests when they come on is, what was your
1: first sort of front-end framework? And then how'd you get into the view community? Yeah. Library, I guess, to make that distinction. I used plenty of <laughs> jQuery. I used plenty of jQuery well before I understood JavaScript well, which I think is the way that some of us get started. Uh, first, quote-unquote, real framework was Angular 2. So that was in my first software development, software engineering type role. And then it was when I moved here to DC. And started at Politico. That was how I got involved or introduced to Vue, and it was great. It was we can go into it, but Ben was involved in the decisions at Politico because he was working there at the time when they decided to start using Vue. And I think I think I was more skeptical when I first heard about it during the interview process and the initial days or weeks at Politico, given that I was ready or experienced with Angular and aware of. React and kind of expecting that to to be what I'd have to get used to, and so it was a really cool experience to find out all the really intelligent and um, well thought through reasons that Politico had chosen Vue for their team, and I've loved it ever since. So it's been year and a half, year and three quarters of Vue now. But for real, at first, were you like oh, seriously another thing that I have to learn?
2: I was <laughs> I was learning React just in case, and now it's another thing that I haven't even heard of.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of people, I've had many portfolio projects get started and then die of like, I'll try out this new thing for my portfolio. And so that process was I was working on it in React and then thinking in Gatsby, which was a little interesting to balance two different things at once. But yes, I was very much anticipating that the next role was going to be React. And so it was only it was during the interview process with Politico that I was like, I guess I'll try one with Vue now.
3: Yeah. Can you talk a bit more about what those reasons were that you was the best choice at Politico yeah. that convinced
1: you. Yeah. Uh, and I'll let Ben be the judge here and chime in and correct me. But the team at Politico is nice in terms of organization, which is a designer or, or a person with a design background is the head of the front-end team. And he manages three other designers and or, or primarily designers along with all the front-end developers about 12 total front-end developers, I think. And so at the time that Politico was first looking for single-page applications, uh, because if you go to... So Politico has politico.com, which is the journalism like public-facing website, and then an additional revenue stream or product line for them is Politico Pro, which instead of just being a content management system for journalism, is much more of a set of data products. So as Politico started to expand the number of data products that they were offering with Politico Pro, they started to look at what would make sense for a single page application framework. And it was that breakdown of having both people from primarily design backgrounds who are used to just HTML and CSS, and then some people with JavaScript experience. And so I think the really strong selling point was that when you look at a view file, if you only know HTML and CSS, you can come in very comfortably and make those changes um, because it looks like HTML and CSS. Whereas React and how prevalent JSX is there, I think most people would agree that getting started with React is a lot more intimidating. So it was picking a framework that would work for everyone on the team. And then I don't know, maybe Ben can um, chime in here. I actually don't know how much the scalability, if you will, of Vue came in in terms of concerns, because obviously React is very well demonstrated in terms of, Works at the largest scales for companies. And I don't know, given how early of an adopter Politico was for Vue, I don't know if they had those same case studies for working at a large scale. But I can say that we've never run into anything that it can't do, essentially, which has been great in terms of we get to keep the easy onboarding while having, yeah, this really scalable thing that works quite well for us.
0: Yeah, to chime in a bit on what Jack was bringing up, I would say that scale was definitely a concern for us as well. So we adopted Vue, I think, right around the time. I think two had been out for a little while. So we weren't, I think, as early as like the one point Xers, but definitely my, my work, especially with Vue started with the Vue two. And so knowing that they had done a lot of performance testings, you know, that it wasn't as if like choosing Vue for the convenience of HTML and like easy to read CSS was over like having a bigger library than React or. Was less performant. The fact that not only was it as performant, but even in time showed to be even faster or smaller at times, basically, can like sort of convince a lot of the team to uh, sort of move that forward. And so, a, a big piece of that credit goes to Hung Su and Chris Guerreri, um, who both really helped to pioneer that research. Because, like most people, I came into polit- Politico looking to gain, you know, JavaScript front-end experience, and so I was like, oh, like, we got to do React. I was like, that was my first thing. And um, Jack can probably attest to the fact that we have a React Native app inside the company. Or I don't know if it's dead already, but I, I may have pioneered it's on its that one. Out. It's on its way out. Yeah, that's probably for the best. <laughs> but yeah, so it, it that's proven to have its struggles, for sure.
3: So with a team that's so design-heavy, like did you find that the designers were also empowered to make changes if everything looked more like HTML and CSS than, say, if they had added a JSX file?
1: Yeah, I think that has been true for us. We certainly have over those four different designers who work with us now, there are varying levels of interest, I guess, in coming into view files and and making changes as opposed to working primarily in design tools, be it or Zeppelin, or Figma. And at the times that those designers do need to come into files, whether it's for simplicity in the case of knowing that this component is already mostly set up and the work left is design tweak or even just being able to give feedback on code changes even if it's one of the front-end developers making the code changes the fact that a designer can look at those changes and read them just as easily as if it were an html file in a separate css file yeah that's been i would say that's been empowering for them it's helpful both to have that structure of single file components and a team structure where the front end like JavaScript developers are, are regularly working quite closely with our designers. And so it sounds like you
2: you moved to Vue, but you also really like TypeScript and you wanted to like keep TypeScript from your Angular two days. How was that journey? Like, How was that decision made? Like, What were the reasons that you brought TypeScript into Vue? And did you do it right from the start or, or at some point afterwards?
1: Yeah, uh, that was definitely a large part of the motivation was uh, having there are parts of Angular, I think, as anyone would say, that lots of people enjoy and some parts of Angular that are a little more idiosyncratic that might have some proponents and some detractors. But I think the part that Angular got very right in terms of longevity and kind of being on top of a trend as it was getting started was that when Angular 2 started being used, it was all in TypeScript. And so that was something at my previous role that I really enjoyed in terms of how it enabled consistency across a large-ish team. Type safety, all all those good things, which we can definitely get into. So when I came to Politico, it was a year, year and a half after they had started using Vue. And so at least one or two applications had already been fully developed and shipped and in production as standard Vue 2 apps in JavaScript. And then around the time I got there, there there were two new applications being worked on for Politico Pro. And in the one that I was on, I at least broached the idea of typescript essentially saying i think our team is large enough here that we'd benefit from it i think from what i understand of view documentation with typescript in that more and more articles seem to be being written more and more cases seem to be being figured out by the view community of how typescript fits into a view world and feeling pretty confident that like i a very often incompetent developer had been able to pick up TypeScript roughly at the same time that I was picking up just a, a front-end framework in general. So I felt fairly confident that the learning curve would be manageable. And so with support from Ben and other developers at Politico, we decided we would experiment, that is just write the code base in TypeScript with Vue for one of those applications. There was a directory application, so like members of Congress. And then for the other one, which was our primary news application for Politico Pro, it would continue going forward as a JavaScript application. And so we got the experience of sort of working on those side by side and recognized that there were definitely benefits to the JavaScript application in terms of, you know, we might, we might get into this eventually here on this podcast, but in terms of like working with Vuex, for example, if you go into that code base for the news application, the Vuex management there is more standardized in terms of the Vue documentation. But we also started to recognize pretty early on in the directory application that we were getting a ton of benefits from VS Code, a lot of benefits from type safety on builds, a lot of
2: benefits, oh, sorry. When you say from VS Code, you mean like in IntelliSense and things like that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So if you're opening up a Vue, a view file that's written in JavaScript. And, and this is, I think, has been discussed a lot about how View 3 will sort of adjust to this experience. But if you're opening up a View 2 JavaScript file, often when you're in VS Code, you get none of the IntelliSense in terms of autocomplete or suggestions for available methods or telling you if a property is wrong, for example, mm-hmm. or misspelled. You usually don't get that with a View 2 component because there are just certain things about View that view handles with its magic is one word but it's uh how it manages things like this dot what yeah it has has its own compilation step yeah with with a dot view file yeah yeah exactly and so that step is is at this point not possible for typescript to know things about by default in the way that if you open these days, often if you open a JavaScript file in VS Code, you'll still get a lot of assistance. And that's just because TypeScript is out in the JavaScript ecosystem a lot. So a lot of the packages that you're using will have TypeScript information about them. So anyway, as soon as we started using in, in Vue, you set lang equals TS. And for us, we did Vue.extend is just the way that you start writing TypeScript components. As soon as we started doing that, we started to see those VS Code IntelliSense benefits of seeing autocomplete or recognizing when there were typos or we had forgotten what the shape of an object was. And so that was really empowering and exciting, I guess, on that directory application. And the the very long story short, at the end of that, is future applications have all been done in TypeScript now. And even for that news application, we've kept a lot of it as JavaScript because it's working and it's just not worth the effort to convert those things over if they're already working. But there are parts of that news application where we've converted either individual files to TypeScript or certain complicated components, we've converted them to TypeScript. So yeah, that that sort of simultaneous experiment of doing one of each actually did a really good job for us, I think, of highlighting both the benefits some of the downsides and ways that we could mitigate those downsides of making TypeScript work in Vue.
3: So was it always a question of like TypeScript versus no TypeScript or was anybody like, well, we should also test something else like flow? Mm.
1: Yeah, for us, actually, I think it was just TypeScript versus no TypeScript. Part of that was probably based on uh, my own biases in that if we were going to adapt a static typing approach to JavaScript, it would be beneficial to have someone on the team who had used that approach previously. And I don't think anyone on our team had much, if any, experience with Flow. Definitely not myself. But I think I and other members of the team felt fairly confident about the way those two languages were developing in terms of ecosystem support. And we felt pretty confident about TypeScript being both fairly well written about in the Vue community. And I can't claim that we've benefited from the knowledge about how Vue 3 was going to be written in terms of the source code. Once that came out that it was being written in TypeScript, I think that was another positive reinforcement for the decision. But yeah, most of the choice was whether or not we would invest the time to learn any statically typed language. And then it was primarily just based around what we had experience with and how we hoped we were envisioning where the JavaScript ecosystem was going.
3: So it sounds like the transition was mostly like sunshine and roses. From what we've discussed so far, was that how it was, Jack?
1: <laughs> Absolutely, there were no downsides. It was pure <laughs>
2: bliss. Um, you mentioned before that there were some advantages to to the JavaScript application as well that you saw, uh, particularly in VueX. Yeah,
1: I think that I, I think now might be a, a good time to dig into that a little bit, which is the frustrations or the non-sunshine and roses parts of using TypeScript were when we felt ourselves having to, we have one coworker in particular who's always been a little more skeptical about TypeScript in a useful way because he helps to point out some cases where maybe, you know, essentially maybe it's not worth it here. And his objections are usually along the lines of where we have to write code that is, Longer, more verbose, or not necessarily more complicated, but often just more code to, quote unquote, satisfy TypeScript. Feels like a and lot of boilerplate sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Vuex is probably the best example of that, which is in the same way that Vue has a compilation step where you can't, in a, in a statically typed language, you won't be able to know the shape of what this for component is because of that compilation step. There's also, a, there's also a step when using Vuex, especially the Vuex helper methods of like map actions, map getters. When you're using those methods, you're just taking a string either of your module slash the property that you want to access or your module slash the method. And you just provide a string to those Vuex helpers. And then at runtime, it finds out which Vuex, which Vuex mutation or getter or action should I be using here. That is not something that works well with TypeScript because TypeScript isn't in the business of parsing out strings and sort of guessing how they're going to be compiled. TypeScript is intended to statically analyze code that exists while you're writing it. So what that means is that if you want to use Vuex in a TypeScript file in a type-safe way, which we just mean a type-safe way for us just means that TypeScript is able to know the shape of objects involved. It's not giving up on those objects. It, it knows and understands the code that you're writing. Uh, if you want to write Vuex in a type-safe way, then that's where the boilerplate starts to come in because you either have to use for example the the class API for components where you use decorators to annotate, okay, for this getter, you know, it's it's a getter type and so you can then figure out what type of object it's going to return. Maybe user returns a user-shaped object, and customers returns an array of customers. So you can do that with the class API for view, but that's something we actually decided to avoid, at least at the beginning, because we wanted to avoid lots of, or, or we wanted to avoid additional overhead to start writing code in TypeScript components. So we stuck with what I think people refer to as the options API for view, where it's just an object And that means you have to use at least what we've found is these higher order functions that wrap Vuex methods. And the long and the short of it is that now for each Vuex mutation or action or getter, instead of being able to do just map state and your set or map action and your set, you actually have to wrap each action in this higher order function, which handles annotating the types. And you have to write out each computed property, for example, that you're interested in from UX. You have to, you can't do map all my getters here and map all my actions here. You have to write out each one. And like at this point, I want to get the users, at this point, I want to get the customers. So the TLDR, after a very long summary, is that our TypeScript code bases now, the ones where they maintain type safety for Vuex, does work and it's possible to still use that pattern but it's got a lot of extra code and you have to take time getting used to it. It means that when you're coming into the code base and you Google, you know, why does my Vuex code here look like this? You'll get a lot fewer results than if you're in a JavaScript component because that's been the standard paradigm by which people access Vuex up to this point. And so keeping in mind like documentation hurdles for new developers is another potential downside.
3: Speaking of documentation, have you found that using TypeScript with Vue has affected your onboarding, whether to make it more complex or more structured for people who are new to
1: play? Yeah, I would say if we've had, since we started using TypeScript, we've had at least two full-time developers come on and a couple different contractors and all of them uh, having not used TypeScript in any significant manner up to this point. And I would say the, the overall result of that has been quite positive in that the onboarding time in terms of getting used to writing TypeScript code or reading TypeScript code is really quite manageable. We, I actually, I took the time to chart out a little bit what our TypeScript in View experience has been like. And for the first seven months or so, we only had one application that was in TypeScript. And at the end of those seven months, we added it to one more new repository. And that's in comparison to maybe seven or eight javascript view repositories but at that seven or eight month mark it started to shoot up a fair amount we now have i think it's eight applications that are at least partially or entirely typescript view applications and the deciding point there was making sure that we felt comfortable that all developers would be able to start working in those repositories We started adding all developers to TypeScript PRs so you can get used to just kind of the basics of what what makes a component TypeScript. And then also some of the TypeScript specific syntax, just like annotating, annotating function arguments or annotating return types. And so that aspect of onboarding was really quite manageable. And now I think we we have no doubt that any of our developers feel quite comfortable in the TypeScript uh, code bases. And so where it really shines for onboarding is... If a developer who previously, for example, hasn't worked on that directory application uh, comes into the code base, maybe, maybe we have a sprint or two of adjustments, either maintenance or new features for that directory application, and it's not the same developer who originally worked on it or any of the same developers. I think what's really been helped is you can come into a component now with no background knowledge, and you can see that, ah, this this method is, is triggering some Vuex action I'll simply, in VS Code, I'll click Go to Definition, and it'll immediately open the VueX action. And then if that VueX action is pulling in some other constant, for example, I can click Go to Definition again, and I can see where those constants are defined. And it makes navigating and understanding and seeing the shapes of data involved in data-heavy applications a lot more manageable. And so I think that's uh, what's really been a boon for us onboarding-wise is that one, it's been pretty manageable for developers new to TypeScript. And, and once you know it, then, you know, it's quite similar to JavaScript and future work in that code base is really manageable. So for new developers, it's been quite manageable. And then, yeah, where it really shines is uh, coming into projects, either that you worked on and have forgotten about or that you never worked on, decreasing that on-ramping time for coming into a new code base. So for
2: some of the downsides, of using TypeScript. Do you see any of those getting better with Vue 3 or the next version of UX or anything like that? And Ben, feel free to step in too, since I I, I would I would normally be the one stepping yeah,
3: anytime in. the ben. tables
2: have turned. You're the
1: one in <laughs> on the team now. So you have to answer the questions. Oh, how the turntables. <laughs> oh, how the turntables.
0: Great yeah. <laughs> right, rough.
1: We'll we'll add a uh, in in post. <laughs> so the short answer is definitely. I think there's some significant improvements coming. One will be sort of Vuex specific, which is that from my understanding, and maybe this is where Ben gets to chime in shortly, but from my understanding, the initial Vue 3 compatible version of Vuex will be very, very similar to how Vuex currently behaves. But the next iteration of Vuex, it's been talked about, will be focused on potentially modifying the API surface or the way that users interact with VueX partially in order to be more TypeScript friendly or more Vue3 friendly. And I think it's also exciting to see that in the same way hooks in React have changed a little bit what the (laughs) quote unquote React community thinks in terms of state management for large React applications, essentially React had a very, very similar Potential paradigm change, which is that Redux, which is part of the inspiration for Vuex, was the primary way to to implement state management in React apps. Now hooks, which are very similar to the Composition API in Vue 3, allow for stateful management in functional components. So uh, ways to share state, part of why I care about that is ways to share state. That are typesy, but more broadly, ways to share state that may not follow precisely the flux implementation that, uh, that Vuex and, and Redux share. So, anyway, I, I forget Eduardo's project. Come up, Pania? Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think we'll start to see more, more potential models for how to handle state management while still getting a lot of the, for example, developer tool benefits that UX brings in more of a Vue3-focused model. And so I'm excited to see what those alternatives are. But that's all focused on this one specific aspect of state management and what that might look like in a Vue3 world. More broadly, Vue3 and the Composition API is entirely supportive of default type inference and type safety. And so sort of what I was talking about at the beginning, which is in Vue2, without lang equals ts and these TypeScript specific syntaxes, you don't get any benefit at all. In Vue 3, it'll sort of be the opposite, which is if you choose to use the composition API approach to a Vue 3 component, TypeScript will just work in the same way that it just works in a JavaScript file, which is for the most part, TypeScript will be able to figure out everything about your code. You won't need to add much, if any, type annotations because it's been designed with TypeScript inference in mind. So that's also really exciting to us. I don't think we expect to write, you know, once Vue 3 is more production ready and we're writing potentially our next application in Vue 3, I don't think we expect to write everything using the Composition API, because we still like a lot of things about using the options set up for a Vue component. But I think there are certain components that we've already recognized where we think this would be a really great place to use a hook essentially to share state between components or share functionality between components. And we'd really benefit here from having the type inference because it's getting complicated to annotate things in a way that Vue 2 is gonna accept. So those those two primary things, one changes to Vuex or p- potential alternatives that might bring a little more easy type safety to projects. And then two, how natively the Composition API will support TypeScript and type inference. Both of those things I think will solve fairly significant, or at least the most significant, which up to this point have still been quite manageable for us, pain points in view two.
0: Yeah, to echo some of Jack's points, you know, because things are certainly in flux. So but as the current state should be coming up beta. So to Jack's point on the the idea here is for us to provide a view three option that still sticks to the view X patterns that everyone is basically familiar with at this time. But basically there is there will be an RFC release, I think probably sometimes after that is released to discuss about potential changes to the API to make our lives easier from Vuex and to really start to see what sort of new state management patterns exist out there. Like the Panea, like Eduardo had created, who's on the core team that Jack had mentioned. And so there'll be it's only a lot of discussions around that. So I think, you know, for those interested in that, I'm sure we'll have an episode on that once the RFC is out, just to get people up to date on what sort of changes might be coming down. And yeah, have a discussion on those ideas.
3: So Vue doesn't want to do the whole like, oh, we'll skip Vue 3 and go to Vue 4 so we can have the same version number as Vue
0: <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. It does bother me a little bit that we're not all on the same number.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's nice to have that for the parts of the, the Vue ecosystem that are uh, more mono repo like the CLI. It's nice to have that in place. I think it's potentially a little bit of mental overhead to figure out which I should be using for which.
3: How do you think the transition is gonna go from Vue 2 to Vue 3, especially if you already have TypeScript kind of implemented?
1: Yeah, I'm intrigued about it. There are certain things totally outside of TypeScript where we've just been trying to follow along in terms of the RFCs that imply breaking changes. One that stands out to me is in order to support fragments, for example, of multiple root nodes for a component, the idea of removing the automatic like attribute fall through, things like that, where we'll have to think about how much effort will be involved in migrating projects of our size. But assuming as those things and those migration guides, I then start to get, get fleshed out. I think we're hopeful that it will be possible to migrate at least a couple of our TypeScript View projects that are currently under active development to try to migrate those to Vue 3. And then what I think we would anticipate is not making any large scale changes immediately, but that as we start to do additional features in those code bases, we would be happy and excited to start making use of the Composition API when it makes sense. And then sort of in the same way that we started using TypeScript in a greenfield, like a, a new project for the first time, I think we'll be excited once there's an overlap of Vue 3 being available and production ready and Politico Pro likely or maybe a different product line having a new application starting development. I think we'll be excited to try out what is a fully Vue 3 application look like, which changes, how often are we using options versus composition, things like that. But I think regardless of how easy or hard migration end up being, I think there are a lot of applications that we'll just keep as Vue 2 for the foreseeable future because they're stable, they may not be under super active development, and things work. Obviously, Vue 2 is an excellent framework, so I anticipate that we'll have plenty of applications that don't, for the foreseeable future, get upgraded.
3: We've been talking a lot about TypeScript, and I'm wondering if you have any tools that you think are really good to work with TypeScript with.
1: So we talked a little bit about VS code generally and how that works well with TypeScript defined code bases uh, extremely well. So in addition to some Vuex specific things that are sometimes hurdles or mix-ins, for example, are a little bit of a pain point with TypeScript, those are all related to the script portion of your components, the stuff that's either written in JavaScript or in TypeScript. And one particular pain point for us is that as soon as you start writing things in your view templates so the the HTML or the template portion of your component, you, at least up until about six months ago, you lost all type checking, type safety. So you were back to writing things without any IDE help and without any build time checking. Obviously, that's a big selling point of TypeScript is to tell you if something has changed that you weren't thinking about outside of your component. A big selling point of TypeScript is it'll tell you hey, this thing changed and your component is going to break now. So I'm not going to, for example, I'm going to fail the build so it doesn't go out to a QA environment so you have time to fix it. So we never got that benefit in the template portions of component until around six months ago when Veter, Pine, and people who work in the Veter team enabled something that they called template interpolation, which was just a setting for Veter turned off by default. But if you turn it on and if you were in TypeScript components, you started to see both autocomplete help and very importantly, errors in your view templates when things no longer matched your uh, script portion of that component, which was huge for us. And it meant that we could now, when something updated, for example, like one of our APIs, which generates TypeScript code, if it updated and it changed the name of a property or removed a property for consistency's sake, now we could see those errors, not just in our script tags, but where we were trying to access them in the templates. And we could get autocomplete help and stuff like that. So that's been huge. It's something I would recommend people try out in their Beater settings. It's just called template interpolation. And then there's two more kind of quick summary developments, at least that I'm aware of. One is that Veter has also enabled that type checking as a standalone NPM package. So you can run it at the root of your Vue project or Vue app. And when you run that from the command line, now you can see all the errors for your files in one place. Previously, you had to actually have them open in VS Code. So that means that you can run that same template checking alongside your view build and find out not just are there errors in my script tags, but are there errors anywhere in my component, including in templates, which was huge. And then the last thing, which is more of a recent development, is Rahul, I believe, from the um, core team has been working on a TypeScript plugin that does something similar, which is a plugin that instead of Veter's approach, which is to sort of parse out a view file and try to pick out the TypeScript stuff from that and then run it through type checking. This TypeScript plugin, at least in my understanding, has similar results, but is a way to intercept view files and make them understandable to TypeScript. So as I anticipate, those things might start to blend together in terms of how they're actually recommended for use by view developers, especially in VS Code or maybe in whatever tooling you're using. But the really exciting things that will be coming are really good Vue 3 support, checking templates, and then kind of the last thing that was missing in Vue that React TypeScript applications had was type checking for props. So if I have my child component and it's expecting a prop of a customer, in my parent component, if I pass in by accident, instead of passing in a customer object, I pass in a user object to that prop. Right now in Vue, will never know about that because there's just not that level of TypeScript understanding of what prop types are. But Rahul has already had demos of that working with the TypeScript plugin where if you're not passing in the correct prop type, you'll get yelled at or your build will fail. So those developments around type checking in templates, which just didn't exist six or so months ago and is now much more developed, I think brings Vue fully up to speed or, or up to par with Similar tooling for Angular, for example, in VS Code, and similar approaches in like TSX and React. So, summarized to say, those tooling advances, I'm really excited about.
0: Awesome. So,
1: as we start to wrap up the episode, Jack, where can people find you on the internet of things? I am on the interwebs. I am, unfortunately, I'm one of those people who doesn't have the same Twitter and GitHub. So, I'm Jack Kappa on GitHub, and on Twitter, I'm Jack P. Kappa, or... I think searching Jack Coppa, K O P P A on Twitter should pull me
0: up. Sounds good. We'll make sure to include that in the show notes. All right, and with that, let's move on to picks. Tessa, would you like to go first?
3: Wow, sure. What an honor. My first pick is the Super Size Spectacular bingeathon is still going strong through the month of April on USA Network. Also, this week I've been trying this site I saw someone recommend to Liz Codes on Twitter. Called turnipprofit.io. And it helps you like understand what your turnip prices are in Animal Crossing throughout the week. So both Ben and Ari benefited from my 459 Bell Strike price today. Also, this month through May 5th. I don't remember if I talked about this before, but Sony is giving away the Uncharted collection and also Journey. So if you haven't played either of these, the remakes are free through May 5th. I don't think it's like a... You can only play through May 5th. I think it's just you have to get it before May 5th. So those are both really fun. Uncharted is like an action adventure, kind of like Tomb Raider or Indiana Jones. I don't really have much experience with either of those franchises, but I'm pretty confident that's a good comparison. And Journey is like a, a meditative floaty cape thing. I feel like if, if you play it, you'll understand what I mean. And then my last recommendation is in the New York Times Magazine. So people who know me might might say that I really like to know the how and why of things. And they used to have this regular column by Rock Walker called Consumed, where he would go really in-depth about like one thing. And they just continued that a long time ago. But in the last few years, they had a new feature called Letter of Recommendation, where every week somebody picks something that they really like, kind of like picks, and they explain like their history with the thing they're recommending and why they think it's really special. And I think that that is a really fun... Insight to get into different people's
0: opinions and life. All right.
2: Chris, what do you have for us this week? Okay. My first pick is a show called Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. I I don't think I've mentioned it as a pick before on the show, but it is probably my partner Katie's favorite comedy that exists. And we have a ton of references to it. And it's it's a little bit older now. One of the the highlights, I don't know, there's that one actor who's in a show. Anyway, I don't remember I her know name. That one. But she's really yeah. funny. And also, there is the guy who plays Dawson and Dawson's Creek. What's his name again? Uh oh, well, anyway, he he that actor like plays himself in the show. And it's really <laughs> funny. He plays like an over the top version of himself. My second pick is dessert making competition show called Zumbo's Just Desserts, which is a lot of fun. It's actually way better than similar shows like Nailed It, which, which might come up later. But yeah, it's it's a much better recommendation. So if you hear someone else recommend Nailed It, just like watch this instead. My final pick is I've been doing a lot of hiking, like out in the, the wilderness, like basically every day, to get some sunshine, get some exercise, especially when we're all cooped up. These are some tips for making more interesting hiking. First, read a book called Identifying and Harvesting Edible and Medicinal Plants in Wild and Not-So-Wild Places. We'll drop a link to that in the show notes. And also get a jeweler's loop. You know that little like eyeglass thing that jewelers look through? So that'll allow you to like identify plants and you'll be able to see like as the seasons change and stuff like that. Oh, it's like, oh, those those are the plants that are blooming now that I know now the name of. And like I, I can see like, oh, this one's like edible and oh, it tastes kind of tart. Just be very careful when you like eat edible plants. Make sure you know what it is, and that it's not something that's going to kill you. And if you do accidentally eat a plant because you didn't follow the like very cautious advice in the book, because you just skimmed it, you shouldn't have skimmed it. You should have just read it. I don't know why you're blaming me for your death, but if you did die, <laughs> you can complain to me at gloomylumi. Lumi loomy, loomy spelled L-U-M-I. If you if there's anything. Yeah. you like to uh, haunt someone, that's the place to go. And those are all my picks. <laughs> She's not even here to
0: defend herself this week. <laughs> all right. Well,
1: Jack, what do you have for us this week? I have nothing nearly as funny, but I will attempt to share mildly useful picks. First, the tech one. I mentioned it during the show, but if you're considering TypeScript, in view, or you've already gotten started with it, check out the template interpolation setting in Veter. There's a docs section of it. It's currently marked as experimental, but if you're in a TypeScript code base in Veter, it's fully ready to go. And I'd highly recommend trying that out to see how it might surface some potential bugs or errors for you in your template code. So that's the tech one. The what to binge, well, you've got nothing else to do with your free time recommendation is to take up 4 hours with unorthodox on Netflix show about the Hasidic Jewish community especially in Brooklyn in New York it's just really well done it is based on a memoir but it's a filmed show fictional i guess recreation And it's just really well done would highly recommend it's just a mini series so for 4 one hour episodes and then the last is what to do with friends potentially online a game called Factorio It's not nearly as good of a sales pitch as could be made for it, but it is a way to continue to exercise the programming part of your brain while doing something totally without consequences and very fun (laughs) and satisfying. You're building up factories and combining progressively more complicated products with the end goal of eventually launching a rocket, which again, not a great selling point, but I'm, I'm not typically someone to spend a lot of time on video games, Something in my childhood about parents not allowing consoles, but I have oof, over the last week, I think it's been at least 30 hours last week and a half, I guess. It's a very enjoyable game. And I have to acknowledge, thank you to Ben for introducing it to me.
0: No problem.
1: <laughs> All right. So
0: for my picks this week, first of which is Jack's talk, if you didn't have a chance to go to ViewConf this year. That's on the View Mastery. And so he has a talk on TypeScript and uh, Plus View at Politico. We can hear more about some of the technical sort of challenges that they've been through. And so phenomenal talk, definitely recommended. And then my second pick is Tessa, who is the Turnip Queen and helped to basically, as she mentioned, allow us to make lots of money through her Turnip prices. So a big thank you to Tessa for that. And then as far as online gaming, just to continue with that pick, a friend of mine, actually, co-worker of Jack's actually at Politico, uh, we did Pictionary online together. And I found that actually be super enjoyable. Because sometimes, you know, we talk about Zoom burnout with these Hangouts, but like Pictionary, like everyone's as bad at drawing with a trackpad. Like it's, you know, so it's just uh, a lot of hilarity ensued. So I totally recommend like online Pictionary with friends. Uh, it was a good time. And so, yeah, more throwing shade at my picks this week. I guess that's going to be a recurring theme. I had chosen. Speaking of
2: Nailed throwing it. shade, even better than Pictionary is Drawful. Uh, <laughs> check out Drawful; it's a much better
1: game. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna hop in to defend Ben here because I've played both.
0: And uh-huh.
1: <laughs> so there are benefits to both, right? Like Drawful, you know, everyone's playing at the same time. It's Did you play weird. Drawful too? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. you get multiple colors. It's true. <laughs> That's a that's, good point. That's it's the change. They made, with, I think <laughs> argue with multiple <laughs> colors. But like, yes, everyone's really bad at drawing on your phones. It's fun to not be able to undo anything. But I did like these online iterations of pictionary where everyone's guessing at the same time and you have at least a little bit more control. So I'm gonna go out on a limb and say both are good. And that's gonna be my <laughs> really strong stance for today.
3: I do think that the guessing part of Pictionary is more fun than Drawful and also like pun wise it fits in better with our picks but I will say even <laughs> when I'm playing Drawful none of my coworkers are believing that like well everybody's is equally bad at-, at drawing on the trackpad or whatever they almost get mad at me <laughs>
0: <laughs> alright maybe some are more talented than others <laughs> But yeah, for my final pick, yeah, I chose Nailed It. Yeah, I'm going to say it. <laughs> I can't say I've watched Zimbo's Just Desserts. So maybe Chris is right. Maybe it is better. But basically, premise of nailed it. You know, a lot of times as developers, we're always focused on doing things perfectly. And so with baking shows and cooking shows, it can feel that way too. But Nailed It has a fun spin where basically the people who come on aren't exactly the best bakers and they try to make like their own versions of these really beautiful desserts. And it's some pretty hilarious results um, and hilarity ensues.
3: I tried to watch that show because so many people loved it. And like I got so stressed out at all of the decisions they made. Like, I feel like even if I knew nothing about baking, I would be like, that's the worst possible decision. Why don't you just say, let's split up and look for clues. But Nicole Byer is a very funny person. So it has that going for it. Maybe I need to check out this Zimbo show.
2: Yeah, I think I need to give it a fair shot too. They also, on, on Zumbo's Just Desserts, every season they have one episode where everyone has to bake a kid's birthday cake. And the kids are judges and the kids are like really serious about it. So like, they're like sitting down and it's like, I, I really, um, you know, these look like some lovely cakes and I'm looking forward to seeing some great things today. <laughs> uh, these, these flavors are very, very delicate,
1: but bad. <laughs> it's like all the seriousness of a post-game athlete interview where they're like trying to be really serious. With also all the lack of qualification to say anything profound at all.
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. That's, I think
1: that's it. Yeah. Although I think, I think athletes are actually
2: trained to not say anything profound. I think they're yes. trained to say nothing. So I think, I think many of them
1: are probably a lot smarter than they seem. <laughs> the kids get there without any of the training. They're able to completely avoid saying profound things without anyone telling them not
2: to. But, but sometimes, sometimes it is profound. Yeah. Sometimes it's like more profound than even they realize. I won't spoil too much. Oh, and by the way, Kristen Ritter. Kristen Ritter is the person who's really funny on Don't Trust to Be in Apartment 23. <laughs> and James Vanderbeek is the person who plays Dawson in Dawson's Creek. If you were yelling at us the whole time because you knew who it was, you can tweet your answers to, once again, at Gloomy Loomy. Loomy. <laughs> and we look forward to hearing like anyone else who's in that show that we forgot. Awesome.
0: And with that, a quick shout out to Paul, sorry if I put your last name, Salitz, for um, using our topic suggestion to suggest that of us talking about TypeScript. So thanks for using that. And yeah, that is it for this week's episode. Thanks everybody for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view.
3: This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode with 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3 compatible storage option and their next generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com view.